0: So very exciting, we're starting a brand new series called Citizens, and uh, I want to introduce you to Debbie Oswick. she's one of the pastors here at our church, and she's going to be sharing the first message, so Debbie, you're real already, <laughs> it's like magic, hello. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a moment just to pray for Debbie as she shares um, God's word with us today, so just stay right there, Debbie, thank you. So Father, we thank you for your word, thank you that we get an opportunity to share your word over this platform, I pray that you would use Debbie today. In a unique way. Pray that even as we sit behind a screen, that we would encounter you through this message, that we would hear your voice and be absolutely transformed by the power of the gospel because you dwell in us. So I hand her over to you, Lord, and I pray that you would use her like never before in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. A special welcome to everyone who's here today. It's so good to be here with you. Um, Jacques just introduced me really nicely. Um, But if you don't know me, I'm Debbie. Um, I am wife to Barry, and I am a mom to three awesome little human beings. You can see them on the screen right now, Rayleigh, Judah, and Eden. And um, I feel like I love quite a lot of things Um, And so, when I was trying to narrow it down, I asked my kids what they think I love. And they said, apart from us, we think you love sunrises, aloes, and caramel. Which actually, I think, sums me up pretty well. Sunrises, aloes, and caramel, you can't go wrong, in my opinion. Um, I also love South Africa. You don't have to spend a lot of time with me to know that I am proudly South African, very proudly South African in fact. um, I think South Africa is is just awesome. The the natural beauty, the cultural diversity, um, the sounds, the smells, the colors, the berg, the bush, the beach, we've got a little bit of everything and I just love it. Um, I was born in South Africa. I think I probably will die here too. Um, I believe that God put me here on purpose and I'm pumped to be here. Um, In fact, I have no desire actually to go anywhere else. Action no, wait, that's not true. I have a desire to go everywhere else just to experience a little bit. I'm, I love travel. Um, but I have no desire to live anywhere else. And so that's a little bit about me. I've only ever been a South African citizen. Um, the only other country that I've ever lived in is the awesome country of Brazil. So when I was 17, I was an exchange student with Rotary for a year. And so I lived in Brazil for an entire year in a little town in the state of Rio called Itaporuna. And um, it, was, it was an incredible experience. I lived with three different families while I was there over the year, um, and they became my family. And so essentially I had three different sets of parents. Um, I had sisters, which is very new to me because I come from a family with three brothers. Um, I had younger siblings, which was also very new to me. I'm the youngest in my biological family. And so it was such a great experience. I learned not only to eat rice and beans every day, but to love rice and beans. I love rice and beans. And beans, funnily, was one of the things that I really didn't like growing up. Um, I drank my coffee black. My dress sense changed. I grew to love soccer which my husband really wishes had continued. And I learned to speak Portuguese. And now this language thing I find particularly interesting. So I use different hand gestures when I speak English and when I speak Portuguese. An example, which I only realized later on in life, when I say, come here, in English, I go like this. But when I say, come here in Portuguese, which is venca, I say, I do this. Venca, come here. Same person, different language, and my hand gestures changed. I don't know what just happened there. And, and even more interesting, I'm told that my, my voice, the sound of my voice changes when I speak Portuguese to when I speak English. I read an article in The Economist a bunch of years ago that said this. Many multilinguals report different personalities or even different worldviews when they speak their different languages. Benjamin Lee Whorf, an American linguist who died in 1941, held that each language encodes a worldview that significantly influences its speakers. How interesting is that? I think being kind of a dual citizen for that short period of time, it definitely grew me, it enhanced me as a person. But coming home from Brazil that first year, things were a little bit strange to me. So one of the other traditions in Brazil, which I got very used to, when you meet somebody new, you give them a kiss on on both cheeks. And so I'd been back for maybe a week or two, but I hadn't met any new people. I'd just kind of seen all my old people. And the first time I met a new person, I I leant in for a kiss. It was a very awkward moment. For a kiss on the cheek, and then I had to backpedal and explain, you know, that I've been in Brazil, and this is a custom, and whatever. Manly awkward moment. But anyway, I definitely had a bit of reverse culture shock. Now, I'd in some sense subscribed to a different culture for an entire year, and on return, what once was normal to me was no longer normal, and there was definitely a transition that I had to make. And so it's, it's interesting that Brazilian Debbie, and I use that phrase very loosely because I only lived there for a year, um, but Brazilian Debbie and South African Debbie are a little bit different in what I eat and how I speak, in the habits that I have. And now when I go to Mozambique, if any of you have come with me on a mission trip to Mozambique, um, or I speak Portuguese, much of this returns the tone, the mannerisms, the gestures. I sometimes even choose my coffee black in Mozambique. It's so, so interesting. I'm sure many of you have experienced this in a way greater way than I have. If if you've lived somewhere else for numerous years or perhaps you were born somewhere else and now you live in South Africa or you've moved later on in life. And I guess being a dual citizen, even not officially, but living somewhere other than your place of birth, It means that the cultures can get a little bit mixed up sometimes, or you subscribe to one of those cultures completely, and in the other culture, you're kind of a little bit like a tourist. Now, anyone who calls themselves a Christian is, in a sense, a dual citizen. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you become a citizen of heaven, but you're still a citizen here on earth. So which citizenship is your primary citizenship? Which should be your primary citizenship? Which culture should be the dominant culture that you subscribe to? Earlier Jacques mentioned that today is a Deaf-Friendly service and uh, we always love the first Sunday of the month, which are Deaf-Friendly services, and I just want to reiterate a special welcome to the Deaf community who have joined us today. You are so much a part of our family and we're so grateful that you're here with us today. One of the extremely interesting things that I've learned about the Deaf community is that there are three categories of Deaf people. Big D or capital D Deaf people small d, deaf people, and hard of hearing people. So a capital D deaf person is someone whose first language is South African Sign Language, and they identify with the deaf community as their primary culture. So like any culture, that would include things like deaf history, deaf celebrations, deaf humor. So for example, a a hearing child that's born to two capital D deaf parents their first or home language is South African sign language would be culturally a capital capital D deaf person even though they themselves are hearing. I hope that makes a little bit more sense to you. So that's capital D deaf person. A small D deaf person is someone who can't hear according to medical definition of deafness, but they don't use sign language as their primary form of communication. So they might still use uh, sign language, but they cue or they talk or they lip read. They, they communicate in different ways. And so, small d deaf people have often fitted in with their, commu- with, with their families or their community, which are often hearing. And so, although they are medically considered deaf, they've not become knitted into the deaf community. And that's a small d deaf person. Then, the hard of hearing category are people who have become deaf through accident or illness or old age. And most of them would refer to themselves as deaf with a small d. But those who have gone on to learn sign language or have immersed themselves in the community would consider themselves deaf with a capital D. So there's three categories of deaf people. If you didn't know, now you know. And I share this with you today as we are starting a new series today called Citizens. Uh, We want to thank Common Ground Church in Cape Town. We're using a lot of their material during this um, series. But during this series, we are going to be looking at the dual citizenship that all of us as Christ followers have to navigate, which should be our capital C citizenship, and which should be our small C citizenship. And how does that change how we live? So I believe that our capital C citizenship is our citizenship in heaven. Primarily, we are, Christ follows, we are citizens of heaven. And our small C citizenship is our citizenship here on earth. We're gonna spend some time looking over the next bunch of weeks. How can we fully integrate ourselves into our heavenly citizenship even though we live on earth? How can we fully identify with our heavenly culture even though we are surrounded by a different culture here on earth? How can we live out that capital C citizenship while living as citizens of earth? And we are in for a ride. This is gonna be great. You know, when you become a citizen of heaven, you, you, you don't learn a new language necessarily. You don't, you don't move geographically. And yet the ramifications are eternal. And the implications for how we should live here on earth are actually huge. As I said earlier, being a dual citizen can be tough at times. There are constant pressures and pains and polarizing circumstances. So how do we stay true to our most important citizenship, our capital C citizenship? What does it mean for us to take God's side on matters? And how would he have us live right now, right here? We've all, or many of us have heard uh, the, the statement, God has called us to be in this world, but not of this world. What does that even mean? Well, it means that we need to live as citizens of heaven here on earth. We're here as ambassadors, which ironically is what they called us as exchange students. I mentioned I was an exchange student to Brazil. If I put it in terms of that experience, while we were in Brazil, I was a South African citizen that was representing South Africa in Brazil. You know, we gave speeches at, at schools, we told people about South Africa, Numerously, on numerous occasions I had to sing the, the national anthem. And it was actually quite tempting at times to not tell the whole truths because anyone would have believed anything about South Africa. Like we rode elephants to school or we all lived on the, on the African plains, you know. But we were there as ambassadors. We were selected and sent as ambassadors. So we needed to be citizens of South Africa whilst in Brazil. And similarly, God has called us out to be his people. He saved us. He's given us a heavenly identity But he's also sent us into the world to be ambassadors, to be light and salt and city on a hill. So we are the called out ones and we are also the sent in ones, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, his representatives, telling others about his kingdom and letting them see firsthand and how we live what his kingdom looks like. Today we're gonna to dive into Philippians chapter three, lay a foundation so we can all understand the importance of this capital C citizenship, our heavenly citizenship. Paul is writing from Rome in AD 60. His main emphasis is trying to display something of the scope, this massive scope of God's eternal plan for all huma- humanity. It's this beautiful, beautiful letter and it was written to the church back then in Philippi, but it's still a beautiful letter to us at home ground today. It's obviously a very different context and a very different time, but many of the same universal challenges that we face today, same truths. He starts this chapter, chapter three, by speaking about the incredible value of knowing Jesus, how much God has given for us. And how he just wants to spend his whole life knowing Jesus, knowing Christ in all his fullness. And so we're going to pick up this morning at chapter 3, verse 12. You can read with me on the screen. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He starts by saying, not that I've already obtained all of this. What beautiful humility, hey? I mean, if we, if we remember, this is when I read Scripture sometimes, this is the great apostle Paul. And he's saying, not that I've already obtained all this, or not that I've arrived at my goal, this beautiful, humble, humble spirit. He says, I don't have it all right, but God has called me. God has called me. God has done all of this for me, and so I am not going to give up. Rather, I am going to press forward. Remember, Paul is writing this letter from prison. I'm going to press forward. I'm going to press on towards what God has in store for me. If you note two things here, you can note Paul's posture. So Paul has this beautiful posture of pressing on of movement, I kind of get the picture of almost like a marathon runner. He's got this posture of I'm moving forward. My eyes are fixed on the goal. And Paul's trajectory, eyes are fixed. His trajectory is heaven. He's focused heavenward. He's got a posture of movement. And where is he moving towards? He's moving towards heaven. He carries on and he says in verse 15, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. All of us who are mature, I want to ask you today, do you consider yourself spiritually mature? If your answer is yes, then Paul is saying that this should be your perspective too. This heavenly perspective, this posture of movement, this focus on what is ahead. He said it's, it's not what's behind us that's important. It's what's ahead of us that's important. You know, what do you have behind you? Maybe, maybe it's a great career or a good track record. Maybe you've got hours of helping people or hours of serving the church, and that's, that's what's behind you. You've got that behind you. Maybe it's a theological d- degree that you've got behind you. These are all great things, but what's truly important is what's in front of us, and our posture and our heavenly perspective right now should be forgetting what is behind, and straining towards what is ahead, those, Paul says, are signs of maturity. Then uh, Paul throws in this cheeky little statement, which I love. He says, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. He's kind of saying, Guys, I'm right on this one. And if you don't believe me, God will tell you. But but he's going to tell you the same thing. I love it. This cheeky little statement he throws in there. And then he carries on and he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. This prize has been given to us. This heavenly calling, this heavenward calling that God has on us. Let's not shrink back. Let's not stand down. Let's live up to what has already been given to us. He says a similar thing in in Philippians chapter 1 verse 11. He just uses different words, but it's very much the same heart that comes across, where he's praying for his fellow Christ followers to be given an incredible depth of insight so that they might be able to discern the best way to live. In order to live up to the, to the statement of being citizens of heaven. He says, to, to live a pure and blameless life here on earth. May they be able to discern, because it's difficult, how they can live up to this calling. To live a life that's fitting for one bearing the name of Christ. And he prays for them to know how to do this. You know, Paul's charge is to live up to our heavenly citizenship, Filled with righteousness, even while we're living here on earth. Gordon Fee said this, if people want to see heaven, they should be able to see it in how the citizens live. Doesn't that make utter sense? You know, if people want to know what South Africa is like, they should be able to see it in South Africans. It's, it's, you know, how do the South Africans live? What are they like? Are they friendly? Are they not friendly? You would see what the country is like. If you want to see what heaven is like, we should be able to see it in the citizens, in Christians. I don't know if if you're like me a little bit, but I'm thinking, oh, I hope people are watching me on my best days, you know, on my good days. But even Paul says, we're not there yet. Not that I've already attained this. He hasn't arrived. Even the apostle Paul hasn't arrived, but we need to work at it. And Paul's encouragement to all of us is press on. Will you press on? Will you work on living that out? That's what the series will be all about. Continue in maturing. How do we continue in this journey of maturing to become more and more and live out more and more what heaven looks like? Verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Now just hang on, hang on. Didn't he just say he doesn't have this all together? So I he haven't, said, I haven't obtained all this. So why is he saying, um, you know, follow me? Which essentially is what he's saying. He's saying, we are your model. Follow those who are, who are living like we do. You see, perfection is not the goal. What we must follow is his posture That's what we must copy, this posture, this focus on heaven, not worrying about what's behind, but fixing our eyes on what's in front. Paul continues with a warning in verse 18. He says, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Now, Paul is writing to those who claimed some sort of light allegiance to Christ, but somehow they've been held captive by earthly perspectives and earthly appetites. And Paul feels this so strongly. I tell you, even with tears, he feels this so strongly. Somehow they've let their small C citizenship eclipse their big C citizenship. They've been consumed by it. They've been pulled away from Christ and everything that he has for them. You know, their trajectory, it's not heavenward. Their trajectory, Paul says, is destruction. Their God is their indulgences. Their posture is not pressing on in the purposes of God. Their posture is finding pleasure in impurity. Their perspective is on earthly things, not on heavenly things. Now, I've seen this at play in people's lives so often, even in my own life. You know, something happens. Often it's success or something good that happens, popularity. And sadly, the passion for the true king is eclipsed by something else. And we settle for a life of a whole other kind of kingdom building. We're building our own kingdom here on earth. And Paul doesn't want to see that happen for those believers And we don't want to see that happen to the believers here in our church. And so Paul gets the clincher, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Philippi was a colony of Rome. And so they were Roman citizens living that citizenship out in Philippi. And they get Paul, they get Paul likening that to being citizens of heaven, living that citizenship out on earth. But our citizenship is in heaven. You know, we've been born again into a heavenly kingdom citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. We don't truly belong here. And so we don't have to worry about what people think. My culture is a different culture. I don't have to worry about what people think. My my measures of success are different. My likes and my dislikes might even be different. And it doesn't matter because this is not my home. I am a citizen of heaven. Is there a yes in your heart when I say that? Is there a kind of like, yes, yes? I think there should be some kind of seismic shift in our hearts with this understanding, like a resonation. I belong in heaven. That's my home. You know? Do we get homesick for heaven, or are we really comfortable here on Earth? Whether there's that resonation, yes, or no resonation at all, the series is for you. And Paul is not done yet. There's two more verses, he says, "But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Paul starts to speak a little bit about our future hope, this hope that we have as citizens of heaven, that He will come again, that He will wrap up history. He'll promote even our physical bodies into end-time bodies. I wonder what those will look like. I'm guessing, pretty awesome. And then he closes this section of his letter with these words that are, are from chapter four, verse one, but they kind of wrap up chapter three, his thoughts. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Paul has got such a huge heart for these people. Can't you just hear it? Brothers and sisters, whom I love. And I can speak on behalf of our leadership team. You are our dear friends, who we love, and especially during these COVID times, who we long for, our joy, our crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. And I hope that this is what we're gonna come to better know in the next few weeks, to know Christ as our King, to know this heavenly perspective, to know this posture of pressing on. So Philippians three lays this beautiful foundation for us about the importance of living out our capital C citizenship. I can hear many of you saying, okay, awesome Debbie, that's rad, but um, I, I see this in scripture and I even maybe believe it in my heart, but why is it so hard to live out? You know, this, this whole experience here as it is in heaven, why is it so difficult to live it out in our perspective every day and in our expressions and our actions every day? That seems to be like a whole different story. I wanna give some, some suggestions, perhaps why it's so difficult. Firstly, as I've said numerous times, dual citizenship, dual citizenship is a struggle, it's even a struggle to say. Jewel citizenship is a struggle. I think it's because we struggle with the reality and the proximity and the, the immediacy of our earthly citizenship, our small sea citizenship. It's, it's all around us all the time. It's what we face every day as we leave our homes, as we open our eyes in the morning, it's our small sea citizenship that we see. The he- our heavenly citizenship requires us to live in a way that's not represented here on earth. And sometimes we, we just don't see it that well. It's not reflected. It, you know, it's to value different things. It's to pursue different things that are often unseen, and that can be really hard. Dual citizenship is a struggle. You know, the normal, common, visible way is all too easy to become completely focused on and to get taken in by. It can become all we focus on. Not many people set out to fall away, but somehow gradually we can get sucked in and consumed totally by small C citizenship things. Secondly, it's the whole concept of delayed gratification. Most of you might be aware of the marshmallow test where they put a marshmallow in front of a small child and they say to the small child, you can eat it if you want, Or I've just got to go out the room for a little while. If you don't eat it, then when I come back, I'll give you a second marshmallow. And it's very funny to watch what those little kids do. Some of them sniff the marshmallow. You can go and watch some of those online. It's hilarious. Some of them are like, I'm over this. I'm just eating this marshmallow straight. And a lot of them sit and wait and are very excited when they get their second marshmallow. Delayed gratification. Heaven can feel a bit distant and far away. I mean, you know, maybe something for the future. And so our citizenship in heaven can also feel a bit distant and far away. You know, it's, it's something that, that's for one day when we get there, then we'll be citizens of heaven. It's, it's weird to be citizens of heaven right here, right now. You know, maybe it's not for now. Earth is here and now. And all of its trimmings are here and now. And it seems a little bit more clear and more real. And so that whole delayed gratification, living out, What should be, what will be one day in in fullness right here in in part, it can be a little bit confusing. And I think those are both true. But I think the main difficulty with living out our capital C citizenship is that we are already busy building our own kingdom. It's very hard to build two kingdoms at the same time and we're often focused on building our own kingdom, on establishing our own name, our own rule, with our own fellowship. This is exactly what Paul is addressing, and this is exactly what he warns the church against. We're not here for now, we're here for heaven. This kingdom building naturally happens, I think, because we've been raised with this kind of kingdom worldview. You might wonder what I'm thinking about. You know, when we think about the kingdom of heaven, what do we think about? When we think about that word even kingdom, what do we think about? I don't think that necessarily we think about um, that olden day kingdom, battles and wars, you know, like Braveheart, that kind of kingdom, I think that that kind of kingdom is a little bit too violent for many of us, and it's a little bit far away. We can't associate with that. So that kingdom's not for us. You now maybe, maybe some of us think about the British monarchy kind of kingdom, you know That kind of view. and, and for a lot of us, we, we might be like, no, that's a bit pompous for us. Um, you know They seem to have a very strong rule in the small area, but, but worldly kingdom? no, I don't know about that. So what is our kingdom worldview? That influences our lives the most. Well, I want to put before you that it's the Disney Kingdom. The Disney Kingdom worldview that has a huge influence in the West. Somehow it's floated over the seas, over the water's us. And I'm not, I'm not even joking. I think you guys are thinking, waiting for me to say jokes, but I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I love Disney. I love Disney. I can sing those theme songs with the best of them. Um, you know, Beauty and the Beast and all my favorites, The Little Mermaid. I'm not sure what your, your favorite is. Or I remember swimming under the water and making my hair float all around my head just so I could be like Ariel when I was a kid. And those theme songs, you know, they become the theme song of our lives. Disney is a whole new world. You know, the circle of life. You've never had a friend like Disney. I'm not going to let it go. (laughs) You're welcome. That was just for anyone who likes Moana. But as a way of seeing the world, you know, those movies are great. As a way of seeing the world can be very unhelpful. And this is why. In most Disney movies, and if we hold to the Disney worldview, we are the lead character in every story. We are the lead character in our story and everything circles around us. This worldview leads us to think that we are always Cinderella and we are never the stepsisters. We are always the one that gets everything right and the rest of the characters around us, they are the bad ones or the wrong ones or the mean ones. And this can make it quite difficult to accept that we are not at the center, that Jesus should be at the center, that Jesus is in fact the lead character in our story, in every story, in the story. He is at the center. We are not the lead character. Disney Kingdom Worldview can also Lead us to believe that we are all we need to overcome. Whatever we need to overcome, it's a super subtle lesson that all you have to do is to find the spark inside yourself, and then you can overcome any challenge. And this belief makes it hard to admit that in fact I'm dead in my sin. I need a saviour. It's hard to believe that I would need to just surrender to somebody else or to wait or to submit. It often can make us feel very weak. The truth is that Jesus is all we need to overcome. We can find all we need to overcome any challenge if we have submitted ourselves to the author and perfecter of our salvation and if He is. Within us. The third thing is that every Disney movie ends happily ever after, and this worldview leads us to think that that's how it should be. And then it can get really difficult to comprehend what is going on in this world when bad things are happening around us. You know, why is this something that I can't seem to overcome? Well, why is this not going my way? Why is this so difficult? You kind of stand there in your own little world saying like what is this isn't how it should be. This is not the way the story goes. And I think this can be often heard in, in the undertones of our grief or our disappointments. It makes it really hard to contend with the tough stuff if our worldview is that everything should end happily ever after. And fourthly and lastly the Disney story always ends in the character's lifetime. It always ends in the character's lifetime. Now, as an achiever myself, it can be quite hard to just submit and accept that I can work at something my whole life and never get the sense that this battle has been accomplished or won You know, that that it's the end of something, that something's been brought to conclusion. There are little chapters in the story, obviously, that get brought to conclusion. But in fact, we're just called to play our little role in the grand story. To play my little role in the here and now. I don't have to be the main thing. This is not my story anyway. Can you see traces of that Disney Kingdom worldview around you? Maybe in the way that you see the world, I can see it. And it's not the way the world works, unfortunately. We wish it was the way the world works, but it's not. That's why it's called the Magic Kingdom. And so when you subscribe to that Disney worldview, it's really hard to say yes to the capital C citizenship. It's hard to stop building our own kingdom and start building His kingdom. It's hard to say no to all of the small C citizenship matters that are around us all the time, that are immediate and that center around us. But here's the thing. With this capital C citizenship worldview, I get to be part of a bigger story. It's not my story. I am not the lead character. I will face trials, I will face troubles, but I get to be a part, even a tiny part, but it's a part nonetheless. I get to be a part of the grander, ongoing narrative, the story of God through the ages, and I get to be a part. And so this citizenship stuff that we're gonna be speaking about for the next few weeks, this is really important stuff. It essentially shapes how we live our lives in the here and now. It shapes what we invest in. It shapes our identity. It shapes how we manage the ups and downs of life. It it shapes our language and what we find joy in in these trying times. It, It shapes how we relate to one another. It shapes so much of what we need to live our lives. And hopefully, it will animate and color in and bring joy to our lives and assist us in stepping into the fullness of life that God promises the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so over the next six weeks, we're gonna be unpacking what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven in a polarized world, in an unjust world, In a secular world, in a diverse world, in a consumeristic world, in an unholy world, what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? How can we have Paul's posture of pressing on towards this heavenly goal? And we are praying that this series will be a series that really shapes our church, that defines our church. We believe that God's calling us to freshly consider how to be his people in this world and to freshly commit to being a part of bringing God's kingdom here on earth, just as it is in heaven, in our lives, in our families, in our church in Durban and beyond. Perhaps where you are this morning, you are freshly feeling the invitation of the King. And I wanna invite you to surrender, to express your need of a savior, and to join us as a citizen. And you can contact Rich right now even. His email address is on the screen. Contact Rich right now, and he will help you in that process. I'm so excited to be on this kingdom adventure together. My prayer is that it will be a hugely growing experience and that we will all together learn to stand firm in the Lord in this way. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have called us out and that you have sent us in. Thank you that we get to be a part of your story because of what your son Jesus did on the cross for his death and his resurrection, that you have given us a new name, that you have given us a new citizenship, that we belong to you. We thank you for that, God. And we pray for us right now and over the next bunch of weeks that you would teach us how to be citizens of heaven here on earth. May we have open hearts to hear, to be challenged to be changed. And may we be able to show people what heaven is like because of the way that we live here on earth. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to finish right here, right now. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week as we continue on with this awesome series. Have a great week. We'll see you later.